there is not such a thing as a bad run, it's still a run. So I think that it's important, you know, to go out, even when I haven't, sometimes I didn't feel like getting out, you know, or, or I was tired, but um, the feeling that gives me, you know, so much positivity and the time that I dedicate to myself, it's very important because the days that I didn't work out and then I was submerged into all the work in my house or work, I felt like I didn't give the extra time for myself. And when I run, it's just me and nobody else bothers me. And I get to think about recipes, sometimes an idea comes, you know, into my head and I feel like I have a clear mind. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 58 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Julietta Liebhoff has been under the bright lights and pressure to perform on Chopped on the Food Network and came out the champion. Working as a private chef caterer for discerning and sometimes demanding, A-list clients prepared her well. A mom of three, she has to be a master juggler, and running is what keeps her grounded and adds tremendous balance to her life. She recently had the chance to live out her running dream where she rocked a PR at the 125th Boston Marathon. At the age of seven, growing up in Rosario, Argentina, she began spending lots of time in the kitchen and garden with mom, watching her make breads and pastas from scratch, helping her trim the basil leaves to make pesto. She developed her deep connection with food, learned lots of recipes, and honed her knife skills. We discuss sports as a kid, the value of team sports, traveling and experiencing other cultures, food and wine, coming to New York City, getting started at Balthazar, becoming a private chef, her chopped appearance, finding running and triathlon after becoming a mom, the experience of a lifetime at the 125th Boston, and how her creativity sparks on runs and community service, volunteering at local races and donating her chef services for needy New York and New Jersey charities. I'm so inspired by Julietta's journey and look forward to seeing what's next for her. As a fellow foodie and wine lover, I enjoyed this one immensely. Hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Julieta Liebhoff, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. We've been following each other on Instagram for a while, and I just love the fact that you're not only an amazing runner, but you're an incredibly talented chef, and you have a big uh, history there being on Chopped, cooking at restaurants, catering private meals. And I'm a big foodie and wine guy myself. So I thought, wow, this would be a really fun and interesting conversation to talk about your own life with cooking and running and how that kind of all intersects so we could have a fun conversation. Awesome. I'm looking forward. Yeah. So why don't you introduce yourself and just tell everybody where you grew up and, you know, kind of what family life was like for you, you know, when, where you grew up. So I am originally from Argentina. I was born there. I'm the youngest of three sisters. And uh, my mom had a small pasta store in Argentina. 
So I grew up around food and she loves cooking. So she really brought food to another level. And even though I have two sisters, I was the only one that was always hooked to the kitchen. And I always follow my mom and help a lot in the kitchen. So I, I always wanted to learn recipes and, and I was fascinated by cooking. So that was uh, something that I always loved. So that was your interest and a nice connection with your mom and your sisters didn't have that interest. Um, it kind of reminds me growing up, my dad, um, who's no longer with me, my dad had a gas station, so repaired cars, fixed cars. And across the street, he had a pizzeria. And my brothers were really into cars. They just loved cars. They wanted to know everything about cars. They weren't even driving yet, but fast cars, how to make them fancy. And I was like, nah, this isn't really my thing. So my dad you know, taught me how to make pizza when I was like eight. So I learned how to make pizza when I was small. And, you know, he let me make the first pizza, even if it was warped or wobbly, he didn't care about the shape. As long as it tasted good, he was like, you know, good job, whatever. So it's very fun that you forged that bond with your mom. So it's you and your two sisters. And where in Argentina were you when you were growing up? Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in Rosario. Um, it's like 200 miles from Buenos Aires. It's a this, it's a mid-sized, almost 2 million people city. It was a great city. It was the perfect place for me to grow up. And in Argentina, since there is a big Italian influence, uh, we eat a lot of bread. So I would go to the bakery almost every day, or I had my mom's homemade bread, homemade pastas. We would make a lot of things from scratch. Uh, even if she was making hot dogs, she would even make the buns. Every single piece of bread or, you know, pastries, it was always homemade. So she really spoiled, you know, my sisters and I through really delicious food. So you grew up with that influence, not only of so much cooking and quality cooking and homemade cooking, but also experimenting already. Even as a really young person, you're in the kitchen with her and you see that, you know, your mom is always going to be doing things from scratch or experimenting and playing around, which is like the perfect storm for someone who is eventually going to end up, you know, getting involved in doing her own work in the kitchen and working in the restaurant business. So that's really unique and it's really neat. Now, how old were you when you first had like your interest where you and your mom were like doing your work in the kitchen together? I would say I was six or seven. I was very, very young. And at the beginning, she was making me do all the things, uh, the basic things, even to clean the basil for pesto. And even up to today, I still make a lot of pesto. I have a beautiful vegetable garden and I have three kids. So my kids help me all the time. And quite often they complain that I have so many basil leaves. That is so much work. And it reminds me that when I was a kid, sometimes I thought, okay, this is boring. I wanted to, to put my hands in the flower and make a mess. But uh, that's how you start. And that's how you start having a connection with your, you know, family and do basic things. And then you, you know, by the time goes by, you know, you finally get to use the knife. So you learn the knife skills and cook or boil things, you know. So that was a really positive experience for me that I never really thought I would end up cooking full time. Since I finished high school and I went to engineering, thinking that I that would bring me a good, solid income and that was a career that I needed to get done. And and obviously life had a very different plan. Yes, that's awesome. And I remember from Instagram, you posted uh, pictures of your garden and uh, all the different uh, items that you have there that you use for cooking. And that's great. I mean, it's so awesome to have good quality farm to table. They're my favorite restaurants, the ones that actually are creating their own stuff, sustainable, 
you know, so much more healthy, so much more organic, and you have more control of the whole process. So it's wonderful. And you were already learning that in in your own way, you know, from your mom at, at a super young age, which is which is really neat. And as far as sports, I know you were very athletic as a kid. You know, what were your what were the sports you were involved in? You know, talk a little about that. I know you swam and did some other things, but like what did you really like as a kid in terms of sports and what were you most involved with? I try everything. So I did figure skating was one of my favorites. When I had to pick one, I ended up with swimming, but I did sailing, judo, tennis, golf. Uh, I was in the volleyball team in high school, which it was not a good team, but uh, I made it. Um, And then when I quit swimming, I went to synchronized swimming for a couple of years. And then I ended up in when I was in university in water polo. And I started at the university team. And we were terrible. The team, um, we beat the first game only because they were not, they were, I guess, laid back the other team. The other team was so much better. I ended up switching to the best team in town. And I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, People's energy and it was very social. So for me, I needed in life, even through college, the structure of being, you know, as part of a team and to do a sport. And that's part of who I am. I love sports and I feel like it balanced the rest of my life, even if I'm working full time to have to find the time, even if it's at 5 a.m. Like this morning, 5.30, I went to the track. I met my old coach. We had a nice social recovery run. It was it, It's really a good feeling to feel healthy and be active and social. Wonderful. And you say you're involved in a lot of sports. That That might be a new record. Uh, in terms of, oh, the, I, so I mean, I, yeah. volleyball, synchronized swimming, yes. water polo, swimming. I mean, that's a lot of different sports. And let me tell you something. Water polo is incredibly difficult. It's physical. It's demanding. I mean, some of these sports you're involved in were great for your aerobic development, your cardiac development, strength. And I think the most uh, salient thing you mentioned in there, the most the most uh, poignant thing you're mentioning in there is you know, you're learning about team structure, you know, and you're learning about, you know, the importance of being on a team and being a member of a team. And, you know, so getting up early, going to the track, all those disciplines that you have in your life today, it all works its way back. It almost always works its way back to when we were young and we were starting to play structured sports teams of any kind, whether it was a club team, a high school team, a college team, when we're on a team and others depend on us, whether it's the coach or some of your friends, we're responsible. We got to show up. We got to be there even when we don't feel well. So that transfers over into our life when we grow up and we are in the real world and we're working, whether it's at a restaurant and you're running it or you're cooking for private clients and doing events. So it's pretty awesome that those habits that you had from being really young have came with you like today as a grown up and an adult. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like it's very important to learn a discipline and to be respectful. As a kid, I had to be respectful to my coach. And he would always give us the feedback, even if he did unbelievable. And if he felt terrible, you would get a lecture. But he always uh, felt um, that it was important for him to be professional and to give us confidence, the confidence as, you know, when you're growing up to think, okay, I can do this. And then I got into open water as, as I was still in the swim team. And um, actually, I swam through my river in my hometown. And now looking back, it really looks disgusting. <laughs> And it's really brown. So when you swim uh, at the beginning of the season, it's really a shock to see brown. And then you breathe and you see beautiful, but brown. So um, my old coach would always give us the confidence that you would never drown. So don't worry that everything is fine. So uh, at an early age, 
it's nice to have to feel like you have somebody's back, you know, and that they have your back as well. Yes, always. And um, a coaching relationship um, with athletics, or it could be a teacher, you know, who really praises your writing or your artistic skill. Um, it's amazing the influence a coach can have at that age when we're so young and we're so vulnerable, you know, to either being mishandled, you know, from coaches maybe who are more of the bully style or they're just really rough on kids. And everyone has different styles. Some coaches are very soft and soothing and comforting and they're wonderful. Me, like I could, I could handle a really tough coach. I could handle a really demanding coach because it was just my personality was like tough. Like I got it, man. You want to come at me? I'm going to come back at you. You don't think I can do this? I'm going to show you what I can do. But other kids don't handle that well. And then sometimes it actually turns them away from a sport. Maybe they really like. So I know you had some coaches or maybe one coach who you really like. Was there one specifically who was kind of like a favorite who really was a good influence on you that you still think of today? Well, I had a couple that I really, now looking back, I really think that they made a difference in my life. Um, um, one was my first swim coach, and he always had a positive attitude. And then when I went through the university water polo, he was one of the coaches. So I always felt like he was very welcoming. And that's why I switched from the university to his team, because I felt comfortable and he really led the team to be national champions. He really is an unbelievable coach. He had also like all the records. He was the captain of the national team. Um, his nickname is Dumbo. He's still very active with the sports. And it's nice because his children are also, you know, very athletic to see that, you know, his passion really passed through his children and all the people that were part of his life. And I had a, another coach and he was not, uh, not as nice. When I was a kid, I, I sometimes felt like a, he was tough and he really made us train to the bone. Like we trained really, really hard and many hours. But um, looking back, he really guided me to have the discipline that I have today. And when I think about myself with running, since I'm relatively new compared to you and the average unbelievable Boston Marathon runner, you know, always going off limits, you know, and pushing yourself. It reminds me of the hours when I was swimming, you know, three hours a day or five during summer to really put the effort. And then when you do a race, it really pays off because the time that it will be running is a result of your training. But it's important to enjoy the training and, you know, to enjoy every moment because the race is not as important <laughs> after all, you know. That's a great experience and some really wonderful lessons learned. Yes, because in swimming, you, you swim so many yards or so many meters, depending on, you know, how you measure it in each country. Um, but you spend so much time in the pool and it's so many hours and you swim such incredible amounts, volume, because running, obviously we're landing on both legs. The body's absorbing a crazy amount of impact with every strike. Even if you're 105 pounds and someone's 150 and somebody's 200, it's, it's still an incredible amount of force. So that's why we have to have good form. That's why we have to have sneakers that fit. That's why we have to run on surfaces that aren't, you know, 45 degrees pitched road, because that's going to put a huge strain on the hip on one side, the knee on one side, and it's going to potentially lead to injuries. Not saying you can't run on uneven roads. You just have to be aware of it. You can't run on them all the time in one direction. You got to move it around. You got to make sure you're getting onto some level stuff and into some dirt. So you learned a lot of discipline from your swimming those workouts are really, really long and the races tend to be 
much shorter in length, even though they're still long in distance, they don't take anywhere near as much time as the amount of workout. So I guess in a way, you know, doing the race itself is probably not even as bad as like all the workouts that you're doing. And the effort and the bad weather, you know, and waking up early and prioritizing. I have, since I have three kids, sometimes to squeeze the time, the time that it takes to get the workouts and then be available for my family or for work. It's, you know, it's a lot of extra hours. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a lot to balance. So, um, you have three kids or two kids? Three kids. Three I kids. have a five-year-old, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Love it. Okay. So let's, let's back up a little. When do you come to New York? Cause you, you moved from Argentina to New York directly, right? I'm, if I have my timeline right, right? Yes. When I was 23 and I only came for a few months, I traveled to the, the U.S. A bunch of times. I love the US, you know, being from Argentina and traveling. Um, my dad actually was a diplomat. So he his first job was at the UN and he loved New York. He always talked about New York. Uh, my oldest sister was born in Australia. So my family traveled all over and I love traveling. But I did not have a plan to really move here. So I came for a few months. I ended up cooking for a guy that owns uh, you know famous restaurants in Manhattan. And I told him that I love cooking. And he said, oh, why don't you make a brunch this weekend for me? You know, a brunch that I did for free. <laughs> so I'm like, of course. And I didn't know anyone. So honestly, probably he had some famous people, but I had no idea who they were. Um, and I love food. But at that point, not only it was a hobby, I love good presentations, but I didn't really know that much about food. And the guy loved it. So he asked me if I wanted to cook two days a week for him. And then if I wanted to work in any of these restaurants, so I ended up working with a pastry chef at this French restaurant, and I really had an unbelievable experience. I had a lot to learn, but um, because I have my background of everything homemade, for him, I was making the pastas from scratch, not even with a pasta machine. <laughs> I was making the breads, all the, the, the um, cakes or pies, and I was making the empanadas. You know, empanadas are from Argentina, so I was making the dough, all the different fillings. So these were not fancy things, but they were things that I would make from scratch, and somehow he loved it. So I, I realized that um, I could do something as a hobby, but I was getting paid. <laughs> so I realized that this was uh, going in a good direction. <laughs> Very smart to pivot in that direction. Um, and the restaurant you're talking about was Baltazar, right? Because I yes. I used to go there quite often, which is why when we were exchanging some notes before we came on, I was just like, this is unbelievable. I don't know how many nights I ended up there because no matter where we would go to eat, we would always end up going there late, you know, like maybe not necessarily for dinner, but, or we would go there for cocktails and just have some, some light appetizers or whatever. And then, you know, eat somewhere, you know, local in that immediate area. Cause there's just so many great restaurants around there. And it was just a, a, a spot that I spent a lot of time in. It's a beautiful um, restaurant. The recipes uh, were fun. It was also classic French. I love baking. So for me, it was so much fun. But when I helped, if I was making a fruit salad, it was like 50 pounds. I had to break eggs. It was breaking 200 eggs. <laughs> so I felt like I went back being like with my mom, that with my mom, I did some of the stuff that it wasn't as exciting. But then I got to make donuts. So I was making like 100 or 200 donuts at a time. It was really fascinating for me, the process and the difference between cooking only at home or this brunch that I did for, you know, for this guy, for 15 people, rather than doing a crazy volume and so much work. But I really loved it. I felt like that was my comfort zone, 
did in the kitchen with the other chefs. I was the only woman, you know, with the, this French pastry person, and they were very friendly. So it was a very positive experience there. That's awesome. And from there, you segued into, you know, primarily private cooking, private catering, doing a lot of really high-end dinners for, you know, high net worth, wealthy clients, you know, like, or famous people, actors, you know, you know, A-list people, which is super fun, but we all know those people can be very demanding. So I'm, very demanding. Su- I'm sure it yeah. was incredibly challenging um, for you, but what was that, what was that experience like? What was that period like? I think what helped me is that because I grew up in Argentina and I didn't know any of them, I never really felt intimidated. <laughs> but uh, now looking back, but it's been 17 years since I've been doing this. Uh, when I look back at my resume, I'm like, this was pretty good. I feel very lucky <laughs> that I had no connections. And I ended up cooking, you know, for so many people in finance or politics, you know, or actors. And the only thing that uh, stressed me out was, what if they don't like the food? So uh, that's a reaction my mom would have, that my mom would spend a lot of time creating something. And then if you would tell her that you didn't like it, she would be her broken. <laughs> With the difference is that I was getting paid for work. So I did not want to disappoint, you know, my work. But overall, it's been always a positive experience. And and the fact that I, I was fairly laid back or I didn't feel intimidated by people, um, also helped me focus with work. And I think that the fact that um, I'm from a different country and I would bring recipes that for me were very simple, but they were also more unique, giving a little bit of Argentine you know, flavor, or they would ask me for a French recipe, but then I would taste it and I would add a touch of myself of things I didn't need, but I, I thought it tasted better, really helped you know, getting my own style in cooking. That's wonderful. And then from there, you know, you you create kind of your own cookbooks and other things and your own your own style of cooking. Um, and we're, we'll save your chopped appearance for later because that's like pretty amazing and cool. So let's segue into when you actually get your start running. So I know you met your husband through your cooking, right? And yeah. he's a huge foodie, loves wine, loves food. And you did a private uh, meal, uh, seven course meal or something, right? You were cooking yeah. something for him. And uh, so you weren't at this point, you didn't, you did not know each other. This was like, you know, you were just cooking for him. And then that's how you guys met, right? No, no, no. We were dating. Ah. And, and, you know, it was early in the relationship. But on my first date, I talk about my published cookbook. But sometimes you would go on a disappointing date and you would, you know, talk about it. But our first day, we were talking for like three hours about food. And I mentioned my cookbook, but I mentioned as I, you know, you loosely talk about things. And then in our second date, he's talking about my recipes. And I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> so he obviously um, bought my book and it was shipped overnight because he needed the book immediately. And now that he, I know his personality, it makes so much sense that he couldn't wait to have the book. And he was really hooked into the fact that I love food and he loves it just as much. So um, I planned a romantic dinner, you know, for the two of us. So he actually asked me if he could see the menu before I served the food for him. So I thought it was a little bit strange or arrogant that almost felt like a, a job that he needed to approve the menu. So I um, I sent him the menu. And because he's a, a steak snob, he told me that he could provide the steak, <laughs> 
but so he has a butcher that we are still huge fans in Forley, and the guy gets the best uh, dry age steaks that they are usually seven seven weeks old. Um, so he got a beautiful, you know, quality steak and. And the meal was, I don't remember the details, but it was definitely some seafood and vegetables and, and the steak that he brought. But um, from that on, um, I would, you know, meet him after my work after 10 p.m. and then cook another meal for him. And he really appreciated. So it was nice. Wow. So you were spoiling him right away. And he's, yes. and he's, he's questioning the menu right off the bat. So Good. I mean, that could have gone either way, boy, let me tell you. Yeah, so I, I, I love that it worked out, but it, you could have just been like, what? You know, what the menu? Forget it. This no second date is out. So definitely I love that. And, uh, the, he's he wants to have some part of it. So I think him bringing the meat, whatever, I think that's very cool. That's my personality. I'd be like, okay, if somebody's going to do all this for me, then I'm bringing some great wine. I'm bringing flowers. I'm bringing bread. I, I would never feel comfortable if somebody was doing all of that and I wasn't doing something. So that's really neat. And uh, that's great. And now you have three, three beautiful kids together and you have a great life together. So where, where does running, because with all your sports, you weren't really running. I mean, sure, you were super fit and really athletic and, you know, team-based sports and all that. When does running first come into the picture for you? So what happened is that I have my first daughter, and before she was born, he's on denial now, but he said that he was going to get me a personal trainer <laughs> and to better to get back in shape. <laughs> so I guess many women, you know, have children and obviously their body changes. And I think he was a little bit concerned, but, um, you know, my daughter was born and I bounced back to normal. But he, at that point, he told me that I needed to do other sports to to help my body, you know, balance because I was only swimming, but actually I was swimming 12 miles a week. I was swimming 20 kilometers and I was swimming a 4K in an hour or under. So I was in, I mean, obviously it was not as fast as what it was for me growing up, but I was in pretty good shape. But I um, followed his advice. So I ended up, I was working out, it was the Reebok gym at the time in Manhattan. So I was doing the... Um, the bootcamp classes and I started spinning as some as something new. And then we moved to the suburbs and through his physical therapy, you know, friends, we ended up doing a triathlon together. <laughs> so that was the first moment I uh, decided to bike and run. But I only had two weeks to buy a bike <laughs> and to run. So it wasn't re a real training. But the first time I ran a 5K, I ran in eight minutes and change, you know, the pace, I realized that, you know what, I'm not so bad <laughs> for the first time ever racing a 5K. And I loved it. Something triggers my brain that um, I got hooked and I couldn't really stop thinking about running. So I ran for two months and then I ran a 10K at that point. And then I got pregnant with my third child. So then that's when I took a break from running a full year. And then the next year I went back to running and that's how I started. I went from a 5K to a 10 and then a half. And then I couldn't wait for a full marathon. So that was really exciting for me to, to see, you know, to push myself to see how it will go. So the first time I did a half, I thought, oh my God, I am dying. I cannot imagine walking one more step. And now that I've been doing marathons, I find it crazy because when you train for a marathon, you very well know that you do 15, 20 miles. <laughs> every single week as a one single long run. So it, yeah, it's nice to see the difference and the progress. Sometimes we take it for granted. And once in a while, it's nice to, to look back and see, oh my God, look how much I have done 
in this little amount of time. Yes, it's very important to look back. Um, many of us get hung up on only continuing to try to improve and get faster in the half marathon, the marathon, whatever, qualify for Boston, do all these things. And if we stub our toe and we trip, if we get injured in one cycle or we don't get faster in one, you know, the first race we put our mind on, all of a sudden we start feeling like we're, we're not doing well or we're, or we're starting to fail. And it's, it's just not true. I mean, nothing we do in life is ever going to be linear. You don't just keep getting better and just keep going up a ramp. I mean, there's always bumps. We always go back sometimes. Sometimes we go back a lot and then really come, come back up. And it's amazing that your first 5K, which was in a triathlon, you were averaging eight minute and change pace because that's not a regular 5K. You swam and biked. And even though you're a really good swimmer and have a tremendous amount of experience, you're not a biker. So you never cycled at all. And you got off the bike and you ran a really good time for someone who had never, ever run before. Um, and you felt the connection right away. And uh, that's the way it is for most of my friends who really love the sport and are deeply passionate about it. Some of my friends, I look at them sometimes and I'm like, eh, you really don't love running. Um, yes. You like running. <laughs> you like yes. you like running because it keeps you in shape or it keeps you healthy, but you don't love running, you yes. know, and not everybody is going to love it. It's like, 100%. It's, it's not you for everyone. I feel like I release too many endorphins. It gives me so much happiness. To have the feeling of what a running high is, you can only understand because you are a runner. But otherwise, you if you don't run, you don't know what I'm talking about. Exactly. So, yeah. Yes. And unfortunately, I don't have that passion with biking. Biking, it's a problem. <laughs> so I have improved my biking, but I never had that feeling with biking. So I made it up to a half Ironman and I had a good experience. But my longest training bike ride was only 35 miles before the half Ironman. So I was completely undertrained, but by the time I got into running, I thought, oh my God, what a relief. <laughs> it was 85 degrees and I, it was super hot, but I was so happy to go running. So I ended up running um, a 147. I don't remember the pace. It was eight minutes also unchanged, but for a half marathon after four hours of working out, it's obvious and at 85 degrees, it was work, but it was a relief. And I sometimes, um, at the end of the run, I was thinking, oh, I'm getting tired. Maybe I can walk a little bit. And then by the time I realized what I was considering to walk, it was past. <laughs> so I was almost done. I really had a, an unbelievable experience. And I feel like uh, running has been um, a good surprise and it's nice to have something different to look forward to do. Well, yeah. I mean, think about your life. So you're a mom of three. That's a handful for someone who isn't doing any work at all and is just a full-time mom or a full-time dad if the dad were home. It's a handful, five, six, and eight. They're active. They're on the go all the time. They're constantly needing to be entertained. Um, they need to be stimulated and, or they're doing things and, you know, whatever, but you got to keep an eye on them. So no matter what, you've got all that going, right? Then you have your food, restaurant, your cooking business, you have that going on. So you have that. It's exhausting on its own, those two things. So most people would think, oh my God, how does she find the time to run? I look at it the other way because I know in my own life that the only way I can unwind my stress is to run. That's it. It's, it's the way I deal with all my problems in life. If there's a work problem, a family problem, if I'm worried about something that's stressing me out about my son living in Vermont, I don't get to see him as much anymore. I'm just like, yep, 
I'm still going to be worrying about this later. So let me go for the run and I'll process it out there. And, you know, 30 minutes into my run, I'm not worrying about it anymore because you know what? I realize I have no control over it and I'm moving through space and time and I'm feeling better. And then I'm on to the next 10 other things I'm thinking about. And what about for you? Like when you're out there running, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about like new recipes, food stuff, family stuff, or is it just like everything? It's like whatever, whatever's out there. Even I started runs in a very bad mood. <laughs> and I think it's like a therapy or a meditation because I can uh, think over even my frustrations. And by the time I'm done, I would say that 99% of the time, I am so much happier. And there is not such a thing as a bad run, it's still a run. So I think that it's important, you know, to go out, even when I haven't, sometimes I didn't feel like getting out, you know, or or I was tired, but um, the feeling that gives me, you know, so much positivity and the time that I dedicate to myself, it's very important because the days that I didn't work out and then I was submerged into all the work in my house or work, I felt like I didn't give the extra time for myself. And when I run, it's just me and nobody else bothers me. And I get to think about recipes. Sometimes an idea comes, you know, into my head. And I feel like I have a clear mind and I can focus better. That's fantastic. And we need that time. Um, you know, again, whether we're a dad, a mom, you know, whatever hats that we wear in our lives, whether it's business life, personal life, marital life, whatever the hats we wear, the roles that we wear, we need to have that time. Um, and, you know, there are many moms I know who would put their uh, sons or daughters or babies when they're really small in the jog stroller and they want to run with them. I also know a lot of moms who'd be like, no, 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 no. Dad, you're in charge of the kids now. I'm going for a run. I want to be by myself. So like, it, it, yeah, but see, that's what I mean. It varies. So it's, it's here or it's there. There's no, there's no middle. It's not like, okay, I run a couple of days. No, they either run all the time with their children or they don't ever run with their children. Me, that was a way I could spend extra time with my son because I knew that, you know, like my ex and we're divorced a long time. She was an amazing runner. She loved to go in the jog stroller with him too. So it was like, he was going to get a lot of time in the stroller no matter what. And he loved it, man. He'd be belly laughing and just like giggling and he just enjoyed it. Some kids don't, some kids are crying and they're unhappy and they're fussy. And it's just like anything else. Every baby's different. Every parent's different. Every, every run is different. When you go out the door and I go out the door, you said something before that was so important. It's like, a lot of runs you don't want to go. They're not all going to be like, let's go, Julieta. I can't wait to get out the door. No, no. I literally have to tell myself the same words I signed this show off with. Keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. I'm like, okay, Ron, you can't be peddling that story every day in your podcast. And you're sitting here procrastinating. You're not going to run. Put your shoes on and go for a run. Just go out the door and get it done. I don't care. I will give myself permission. I'll tell myself, okay, you only have to go to Hoboken and you could turn around. That's only a six mile run. If you don't feel good, you can turn around at three and come back. I'm just saying if it's a day when I was thinking I was going to go longer. So this is the little deals I would make with myself. But in your case, you know, you have your kids to manage, you have other things to think about. But the minute you get moving, the creative juices can flow. You can problem solve. You can think through emotions that are stressing you out arguments you have with your better half, like whatever it is, you know, somebody you cooked for who didn't give you the reaction you wanted. Hey man, out there is where you deal with it all and just let it go. And then you come back and you're a different person, right? A hundred percent. I finished and I always feel at peace. 
it's a piece that I needed that I, an hour or two before my run, I was wired up and angry and, you know, having negative thoughts. And I feel like uh, when I go for a run, it really neutralizes my mood, you know, and I come back always much happier. That's great. Fantastic. And with your running, because you've made some incredible progress, you know, from, you know, from starting out, you know, basically when you had your first and now you have three kids, um, did you start off on your own, just kind of reading books, learning about how you wanted to train, or did you actually have a running coach in the beginning or did you just get somebody like, as you've progressed, like, how did that work for you? Well, I had no idea. <laughs> I started triathlon without any real coaching because I am telling you, I only had two weeks to buy a bike and get ready. Um, and after my third son was born, I started running. And at that point, I didn't have a coach. And I tried a few groups, but nothing really worked out for me between the schedule and my kids were young. So I felt like um, I didn't have a proper guidance. And then I ran my first marathon, which was New York City Marathon, with an unrealistic expectation of qualifying for Boston <laughs> without a real coach and and not really knowing anything about a marathon and not knowing that actually New York City Marathon is not an easy course to run. So And I didn't have a proper nutrition, so I had a pretty decent run until mile 21. And then by the time I was in the Bronx, I cramped. So my legs were gave up on me and and it was very hard. So I finished walking and running. So my first marathon event, I, I finished in three hours and 50 minutes, which for a new runner, it wasn't terrible. I'm clapping but, right now for anybody who's not yeah. watching this on Zoom. 3.50, your first marathon, you're cramping and it's New York. That's really good. That's really good. But I was so upset. It took me a month to really look back and think, you know what? It wasn't so bad. It could be a lot worse for a beginner runner. But at that point, I realized that I did need to learn a lot about running and I got a coach and my coach really uh, made a huge difference. That's exactly what I needed. He really gave me an exact plan for training. He did a few of the workouts with me. He even took me for my second marathon. I ran in New Jersey, Long Branch. So I ran through the course. So he really went step by step to get me what I wanted to get and and I'm very grateful because it really made a difference. He also told me, which I didn't know about the nutrition. So I did a carb depletion, which for me, being from Argentina, I need bread every single day. Gave me terrible headaches. I didn't know that not eating carbs would be so bad for me. And then three days before the, the marathon, I load up only on carbs, which is my <laughs> my happy time. So when I run... Um, long branch I really had an unbelievable day and I tried to pace myself through the run and I ran at 332 so I I thought I had almost eight minutes to spare you know to qualify no actually I have two and a half minutes to spare at that point for Boston but then we hit COVID so I was going to run Boston I was on top of my training I was hoping to PR and then a month before Boston it got cancelled so I felt crushed as everybody else but for me it was my first experience and then I turned 40. So at least I had almost eight minutes. So I was back in the game. So when this year happened, after two years of not running a marathon, um, I was concerned because one of my closest friends that we ran together told me that um, I'm getting older. <laughs> it's not, uh, not what I wanted to hear. But realistically, there is a point that we start slowing down. But I say to her, you know what? I don't think I have reached my peak. <laughs> so where is my peak? You know, I feel like, you know, as you've been doing so many sports as well, 
that is a point in swimming that I feel like, okay, this is it and I'm done, you know. And I feel like with running, I have never really reached that point. That's why for me, I feel very excited. I look forward, you know, to the next run. And then, you know, when Boston just happened a week ago, not only was an unbelievable experience, but I, in the back of my mind, in the last uh, few months, I, I was thinking, you know what, I only need one Boston. And many times I worry about times. And this time I try, I try to think, enjoy the run, only do it for the run. So at no point of my run, I was contemplating to requalify or that the time would make a difference. So I feel like because I was a little bit more laid back than other runs that I have done, I had a really positive, happy run. And then by the time I have to my left, I'm like, I'm going to PR. <laughs> I only PR by 24 seconds, but I was really excited. And my husband was on mile 26 as you turn left on Bolston. And the problem is that he was on the other side of the street, you know, by the light or something. So I thought, okay, I can walk 10 more meters, give him a hug. And then I don't know how I'm going to run because at that point I was in so much pain that it, it would have been very hard to really go back to running. Or I can consider um, continue running and PR. So I saw my husband, I waved from far away and I went through the finish line and, and I was really happy. And I think it was a good decision that I Overall, I really had a great run, and he didn't mind. <laughs> I love that story. Um, first off, your friend is totally out of her mind. You're not. You didn't reach your peak yet with running, so we're, we'll deal with her. And when we all go for a run, I'll, I'm going to set her straight. So that, that yeah, we're we're all going to go for a run. I'm going to set her straight. So that's total nonsense. Um, because you have such aerobic development from swimming and all these sports, and you don't really like cycling, but you're still able to r ride 56 miles with almost no training, a 35-mile ride. I mean, you have a great cardio system, great aerobic development system, and you don't have any of those miles on your legs. You didn't start running at 15, 18, 20 college years. You don't have any of those miles on your legs. You can, you can go so much more. In my mind, I don't think you'll even hit your peak until you're 50. I mean, I have friends that are in their 50s that are world-ranked age group runners and running in the world age group championships that I qualified for. Um, and I know friends, I have a friend who's 72 years old who's running a 254 marathon. I mean, it's bananas what men and women are doing in their 60s and 70s, 80s. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. So no peaks, not even close. And you absolutely made the right decision. If you told me you went over there to hug him, we were going to have a big problem because I was going to be like, whoa, hold on a minute now. I'm all about the selfies and the family shot, but not when you got a chance for a PR. So you definitely made the right call. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because at that point I was tired and I didn't, if I let it go, it would have been so hard to even, you know, finish running strong. And my last half mile, I ran a 720 pace. Ooh. So I was, I, somehow I woke up. And yeah. I feel like people's energy in Boston is really unbelievable. And the runners uh, start picking up the pace. So they really push you. I feel like looking back, it's like you're floating. They really help you get to that point. So I, at that point, I wasn't giving up. I, I was focused. I was excited. And I really got to enjoy the whole marathon. I mean, the run, the course was unbelievable. So I ran New York City Marathon twice. And even with New Jersey, they put through, they put you through the corral, and I felt like I was a cow going through the slaughterhouse, you know, <laughs> going to be killed. Yes. Then you have like twenty thousand runners in front and twenty behind you. So then you're walking, you know, going to the death sentence to the starting line. And then when they ring the bell, 
everybody starts running. But with New York, I feel like I I run for three miles until I found a little bit of more of my own space. And then you have some space, but you get 50, 60,000 people running. So it was very hard to find my own spot. And then with Boston, I heard that this is the first year that I got off the bus. I walked three quarter mile. Thank God I used the Porta Jones and I was waiting to go to a corral, but it was a rolling start. So people were taking a few pictures and then I realized, oh my God, I will start whenever I want. And when I started, um, it was all open. I wasn't cramped. Um, it was really an aha moment and it was a, an unbelievable feeling when I started. I love the second that I started. I ran it the first mile and I felt a running high and I'm like, oh my God, it's so early. <laughs> but you have so much downhill that it's very hard to run with your head. And I heard Des Linden the day before saying that you run your first half marathon with your head and then the other or, or 20 miles and then the last six miles with your heart. But it's very hard to for me to separate my emotions than, you know, from my, my thoughts. So it was very hard to hold back the pace, which I did. And now looking back, I'm very grateful that the first half I did the time that I was hoping for. It was almost 144. I was aiming for like around 3.30, but I didn't want to start too fast because I looked on the map and then you had from mile 16 to 21 real hills. And I had the delusion as a new runner that I would be <laughs> picking up the pace, <laughs> you know, to at most eight minutes. And that I could run my last five miles at 7.30 pace, you know, like I was floating through the end. But reality hits, you go through the hills and I slow down a little bit. But um, so many people are walking that I was only hoping just not to walk. So I didn't walk anything because if I did, I would have gave up and then the time would be a disaster. But um, I feel like the hills were hard because they are on the second half. But they were fine. And mile 21, I felt pretty good. And then I'm like, I'm back on the game. That's why they run it so long. So I have feelings that I will do unbelievable. I will do terrible. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> and then mile 21, I feel unbelievable. So I ran mile 21 to 22 in 7.39. And I'm like, I'm picking up the pace. But then mile 22, <laughs> I think, oh, my God, <laughs> I have four miles to go. This is so long. I need to, to cool down a little and you know, keep a more, you know, steady pace. So then I went back to my eight-minute pace, but it was okay. I, I was very happy overall with the experience I had. What a great uh, explanation of your first time. Um, some things I want to revisit. Um, it's the first year ever with the rolling start, and they asked for um, post-runner surveys every year. Yes. And I'm okay. encouraging every single runner who ran, every single runner, to please write in. Of course, I'm not going to encourage them to write in and say what I want them to say yes. <laughs> or what you want them to say, but I, I've been doing this a long time. Um, I've run 59 marathons. I've run nine Bostons. I, start, I started running Boston in 1995, so the 99th Boston was my first. The 100th was my second. So I now had the amazing, like incredibly fortunate ability to run in the 100th Boston Marathon and the 125th, you know, 25 years apart. And what I shared with everybody, the race directors, the BAA team, the people that I know, which who I've gotten to know 
pretty well over there. It's like, you can't understand just how amazing that rolling start experience was. I mean, from someone who is ultra competitive, A plus crazy, psycho, maniac, have to come on the top of the podium, have to try to win my A troop, have to score the highest percentage runner grade I can get. To be able to, just as you said, to get off the bus, to be able to just walk down that street and not be worried about how long the line was going to be in the Port of Johns, because normally I go to the back. I know the secrets from doing this all along. I know everybody goes in the front. They go to the left, they go to the right. You just go all the way in the back, all the way down around the end of the crowd. You'll walk right up and go into a Port of John and get a spot. Yeah. This year, I didn't even care. I didn't care where I went because I knew in my mind, I looked at my watch. It was like, I think it was like 9.35 or 9.40. And the friend of mine who was going to start me, I said, you know what? Let's not start till like 10. And he's like, don't you want to get going? I'm like, no, I don't. I want to feel like just like I'm home in Central Park or out my door in Weehawken before I start a run. I never want to feel like I'm ready to start the run until I'm ready. And if that means I'm just limbering up a little or doing some easy strides or I'm doing some basic, you know, stretches and just some movement where I feel like, okay, now I'm ready. All right, let me get my GPS signal. Okay, let's go. And it's like, sure, the only difference is there were a lot of people around, but not 40,000. The race field ended up being probably around 15,000, 15,800, 16,000, something like that, more or less. There were very few DNFs. I think only a few hundred people didn't finish, maybe like three inches. It was a very high percentage of finishers, but the experience was amazing to just be stress-free, to just not anybody losing their minds, freaking out like I got to get into the corral and then people fighting in the crowd because they want to get to the left or the right or the middle or wherever they're going. None of that's going on. Like people are up front, they're taking selfies, they're taking pictures, the flag, they want to get a shot, something they never could have done before because there's always a billion runners around and people are nervous. They're, you know, and everybody deals with those nerves differently. Sometimes people get on each other's nerves and they aggravate each other. They don't mean to. Somebody steps on you or elbows you or bumps you and doesn't say you're they're sorry or apologize. And then right off the bat, people are getting uptight. It was such a pleasure. So comfortable. And then it allowed runners to just, just as you said, more open road, more open space, not being crammed or stressed to get off at a comfortable pace and just worry about the things you're supposed to worry about. When am I going to take my gel? When am I going to drink my bottle or my fluid? Um, or am I meeting any friends on one side of the road or another? Do I need to get over to the left or right to say hi to my husband or my friend or my son? Like those normal things that you think about, you're not thinking about it. And then you're running and then you're running and you're running and it's stress-free and you're moving along. And of course you have your thoughts. It's your first time. There's no first timer that's ever run the Boston Marathon course in history that ever, no matter how many times they've been warned, no matter how many coaches tell them stuff, no matter how many friends tell them, don't run too hard in the beginning. It's impossible. Look, it's impossible. That Some of it's gravity. Some of it is just, you know, you're just feeling so good and you're out there. People are always going to run too fast in the beginning of Boston. It's, it's just a matter of hopefully if you don't go too crazy, as you said, when you hit the hills, because the real race starts when you turn at the firehouse, you turn at the Newton firehouse at 17 miles. That's when the real race begins. You got the four Newton hills. And then until you get to the top of Boston College, which is the very top of heartbreak, and you know you're all the way up there, and then you look down and you bomb down Cleveland Circle, and you got the railroad tracks on the left, and you got the students are on the left and on the right, and you bomb around that circle, and you make that right, um, make the left, I'm sorry. That's when you said it. 
it's almost every single person I know because they bomb down the hill, they feel great, and they ran a really fast mile. And all of a sudden, everyone, it's like somebody hits them with a bat or something and says, you still have four miles to go. Like everybody hits that point where you're just like, whoa, like I got the emoji eyes right now. It's like, oh my God, that's what I felt. I was like four miles to go. Holy crap. I'm tired. And I was like, where's the sicko sign? I know where everything is. I'm like, where is it? Where's the sicko sign? I'm like, I can't see the sicko sign. That's not good. And then when I finally saw it, I, I was kidding around with the runner I had on last week. I was like, you know, we were both joking around that somebody was moving it. It was like on an escalator. It was just going further away from us that we weren't actually getting closer. Um, but that's so cool that you had these amazing moments, you know, for your first Boston, because you couldn't run for a couple of years after qualifying because of COVID and you have never been there. And that's everybody's dream is to run Boston. So yes. amazing. And I feel very, very, very lucky because um, I'm a new runner, but I think the fact that I never really ran before, I didn't have the pressure of somebody who's been trying for 10 years. And I have a, such a good endurance, you know, from swimming growing up that at least I can keep going. And I love the challenge and I like to test me myself through, you know, the point that I can be exhausted. I think that some people um, run and then they feel tired, but I always push an extra mile. And I think my legs gave up on me way before my brain gave up in Boston. <laughs> I think that um, I really had a very strong mentality that I needed to keep going, but my legs were feeling heavy. <laughs> I was having a, a, not a good feeling. But um, I thought it's almost over. And at that point, you know, once, you know, two miles left and you see the CITCO sign, um, it's really exciting. And the people's energy, the amount of people, even through COVID, that when they are to cheer everybody. And for me, uh, I feel like bananas always help me. And I ended up getting two or three pieces of bananas from regular people <laughs> who were giving you. And I think that... Um, you know, for them, they are probably open the door from their house and just, you know, throwing bananas to the runners. But for me, it really helped me not cramping because my legs were feeling a little heavy. And I think that it's maybe in my mind, but they really help. Um, and to see how people are positive and excited. And I see a lot of kids that they want to high five or they have a sign, you know, and, and the best sign of all for me was that I was on mile six or seven and the sign was huge and it's a you're not even close. That <laughs> <laughs> so was really hilarious because yes, you're only six miles, but you only have 20 miles to go. And and some of the signs were really funny. And the effort that even spectators put to cheer strangers, it's really priceless. What a great experience for you. Um, I've been in love with the Boston crowd since my very first time up there. Um, and it isn't just the crowds, um, as you said, and orange slices, bananas, Kids, yes. kids giving out candy, kids just sitting there, little, just like your age, five, six, seven year old kids, they're out there with their hands out there. If you touch their hands, it's like you just gave them a million dollars. Their smiles light up, their faces light up, their energy is good. And I wrote a post on Instagram and I just said, you know, look, there's a lot we have, we have some responsibility for, you know, to be grateful for, to be, to have gratitude for that we're able to do this, that this sport we're healthy. So many of our friends are not. Someone's had a hip replacement, a knee replacement. Someone, you know, has cancer. Or somebody got sick. Somebody can't run anymore. There's some reason why. And, you know, I'm 60 and I'm still out there and I'm able to do it. And I mean, I just wrote, 
It's our job. And of course, I'm going to feel it more because I'm older. So you always think about legacy more when you get older in life. It's natural. You know, you don't have to be 60 to feel, think about things like that. You can be 40 and think about things that can be 30, but it usually happens as you get further along the age path. And for me, I just kept saying it's our job to inspire the next generation of Boston runners. And I don't mean just on Instagram, the people that we're all following each other. That's wonderful. We're all there for each other. We're encouraging each other. If somebody has a bad race, we're there like, hey, you're going to be okay, Julietta. You're going to get it the next time. I mean those little kids on the course. That's what I'm talking about. Those kids that are out there literally with like stars in their eyes because you're running by. When you when you beeline over to their side of the road and you give them a high five and you make eye contact with them or you yell, hey man, thanks for cheering or something. They get so excited, man. You just like made their whole day. Um, and I think that was just important. And I think we need to all be aware of that kind of stuff. And you know what? My kids went to watch me at Central Park run only once. <laughs> and they were so excited, like if I was a movie star. <laughs> so it's really nice for them to see, you know, a parent being healthy and go through the races. And also, you know, when you get a medal or if you get a prize or nothing, or even if you get a high five, is that you're also putting the effort and you're showing up. So it's very important to be also a good, you know, figure for your own family. And by the way, my daughter is eight. And she ran a running camp that only was lasting one week. And she ran a half a mile in 6.08 pace. So she can run. As an eight-year-old, I feel like, you know what, she's excited and she feels fearless. So it's really cute to see that uh, my kids are also into sports, you know, and, and they enjoy it as much. Wonderful. Well, you're setting a great example. Um, and you know, they, they may not take to it right away, but if she's already starting at eight, that's, that's wonderful. My, my ex was an amazing runner and, um, she ran 253 in Boston and, um, I coached her. She can, she ran 253 in the Marine Corps marathon. And back then she was third woman in the race, not third in her age group. She was third woman in the whole race, like third place, like a huge trophy, and, you know, my son, just when he was younger, he's 24 now, you know, he just he played baseball. I coached him in baseball as a college baseball player. He loved other sports, but running, she tried to commit. He, he'd be like, nah, I'm not running. I'm not running. And then when he got to high school, you know, he went to Regis High School in New York City. And, and so he was commuting from New Jersey. And one of the first things they told the parents were like, look, these kids, they're coming from New York. They're coming from Long Island. They're coming from Connecticut. It's a very small school. It's like 100, 130 to 150 boys, but they're all, very few are from New York proper. A lot of them are from an hour commute, an hour and 15. And they told all the parents, they got to get involved with something. If they need to be on the debate team, a club, a sport. So Ronnie came to me like a week before and said, dad, will you uh, start running with me? I'm going to, I'm going to try to do cross country. I was like, what, what you want to run in high school? I'm like, let's go. And then I was also, I was double psyched because as my, his mom and I are like the best of friends, but he asked dad. So I was like, that was like a double bonus for me. I was like, he wants, Absolutely. he wants to run with me. I was like, let's go. And, you know, to this day, it's just a favorite thing in the world. Like if he wants to go for a run with me on Father's Day or Christmas or whenever he's home, I don't care if we go three miles or 10 miles. It's literally the greatest thing in the world. So I hope for you, your daughter and your other kids at some point, they'll want to go run with mom and hang out and just share that experience with you together because it's beautiful. Yes, it's a healthy lifestyle. Yes, very healthy. I also want to go back to something you said you know, you said your legs were getting very tired late in the race, which I know because I felt the same way. Um, I felt like the the hills were tough. 
and I had run London, you know, eight days before. So I was just not feeling my normal, like strong, let's close this out. And I did well in the hills. It was more after I came down Cleveland Circle and got to that straightaway, just like you had talked about, which is why I was like, I had to mention it. So for me, I know me, I know my own personal things that I go to when things get hard, but I'm just curious, like, where do you think you get your determination from, your spirit, your will, your fire? Because that's what that is. I mean, it's like when you're tired, it's very easy for people who are just going to say, you know what? I'm going to walk through the aid stations. I'm just going to slow down. I don't have any gas left. It's not my day. I'm, I'm out. You know, you're not going to quit, but you're going to basically, you're going to give yourself the out. You're going to back off the accelerator. You're going to slow down and you're going to just give up. But that's not what you did. Like you, no, I, you stayed in the fight as my sign says, but I want to know, like, where do you think that comes from in you? You know what? It's funny because um, when I run, I, before I always used to listen to music, but um, this is the first couple of years that I am finally hooked into podcast. So when I go for my long runs, I find it very uh, inspiring and I learn a lot about many different runners, you know, and their own experiences. So I heard the epic five when the two, you know, one of the two of the three first women did that. And then even if it was, you know, for the triathlon, but it, every single person talks about their own experience. And I feel like for the most part, I always take one or two things from each person that really helps. And then I was listening to an ultra runner. Her name is Courtney. I don't remember the last Cor- name. Courtney DeWalter. Yeah, Courtney DeWalter. It's the unbelievable. And so she, you know, there is a point that women mentality sometimes are more stubborn than men. And she went above and won with hours against men. But what I love about her is that she said, well, when the pain hits and it's unbearable, I hit the pain cave. And that's when she wakes up. And that's a moment that she enjoys. And I think, wait a minute, (laughs) that's not a moment I enjoy. (laughs) But I feel like it really taught me that once you hit that point, you really have to be able to, rather than being upset, embrace it and then try to, you know, run through it the best way that you can with a smile or whatever it is or uh, some positive thoughts to get you going. So even her husband usually helps her, you know, go through certain races and she says, don't ask me how I feel <laughs> because many times I feel bad. And if I tell you how bad I feel, you really bring your negative thoughts and then it really ruins your experience. So I try to have a positive mindset. And for the most part, I try to think that rest at the end. But every time I run a long race, when I start getting tired, I cannot count miles anymore. So after four miles, it's only about time. (laughs) So then when I only had two miles left, I'm like, wait a minute, it's only 16 minutes, 17 minutes. And then when I hit, you know, 26 miles, I was thinking it's only two minutes, (laughs) only certain amount of time. And if you think that I was already running for more than three hours. Only two minutes is really nothing. So that's when I start playing a mind game about is it really worth, you know, giving up or, you know, walking or wasting the precious time that you build up. And I have a very hard time giving up all the effort that I put. That's what really gets me to the end. I love it. Well, you have, you have stubbornness. It's in you. Your determination is in you. Um, you're a team player from your sports as a kid growing up. You always embrace that, you know, being part of the team and 
you know, a coach who pushed you, you embrace that. So I think you have all of that. And then being in the pressure cooker of New York City, you know, at a place like Baltazar cooking, you're cracking 200 eggs. Like, I just can't even comprehend that. Like, that's just mind boggling to me. Like, if I make four eggs in an omelet, that's a record for me or five. Like if some people are about like 200, I just can't even. But the scale of all that, I mean, it's just, it's pressure. Like, but you were learning how to deal with that in the kitchen and on teams and different things. And I just think like little by little, you just brought it all over and it's at the center of your running and it's, you're really good at handling it. And I love that you talked about that episode because I listened to it. He, um, she was on Rich Roll and I love Rich Roll. He's, he's, he's I literally, Rich Roll is my favorite podcaster. So like I listen to Rich Roll. I have to listen to all my own shows because I have to get the clip for the show. I have to know exactly what I want to write about the show, like what specific things and what order am I going to, you know, present the facts of our conversation or the fun moments, the light moments, the serious moments to somebody to say, hey, I want to hear Julieta's podcast, episode 57. Like I'm in, I want to know about this girl. I want to know everything about her. So I spend a lot of time on it, but when I'm not listening and having to hear my own voice, which let me tell you is no picnic. Imagine having to listen to your own voice like three or four times a week in an hour long podcast or more. After a while, you're just like, oh God, I don't want to listen to my own voice anymore. Um, but it's a necessary evil. But ritual is, my, for me, it's like a tonic. I love his voice. It's relaxing. Um, he's just a very good questioner. And you you nailed it. Courtney welcomes, you know, there's welcome is, is the right word because it's just knowing it's coming. It's going to come. It might come way earlier than either one of us ever expect. It could come in the first 10K of a marathon. You might be having really bad cramps or a bad side stitch or something else where your mental state isn't right. You didn't sleep well enough and you're, you're on edge and you're not in your spot, but it's going to come. And so she's just prepared herself from all of these years and all these races that it's going to be there and I'm going to figure out how to deal with it. And I love that you hit on that point because one of the things I hate more than anything is when people text me and go, Hey, how do you feel? How do you feel? Like, what, what is that? Like, you know, like ask me something about the race. Like, you know, like, Hey, what was the race like? Or what was the high point of the race today? Or it's always like, how do I feel? What do you mean? How do I feel? It's like, I think it's like the dumbest question ever. Like, you know, it's like, don't ask that. So I love the way she responded to that. And that was her husband and they're very close. So, you know, it wasn't like there's like tension. It's just, she didn't want it coming in her direction because she has to think about it. And that's the way we are. We need to be simple. When we're in that mode and you're on that road and you're trying to get 26 miles down, you don't need obstacles being thrown in your path that don't have to be there. And mental things that we shouldn't have to think about, that they're not going to serve us in a positive manner. So it's great. You know, that's how we learn. So learn from Courtney DeWalter or learn from another runner. Um, and somebody's going to learn from you. That's, that's what it's all about. Something in this episode, somebody's going to hear and go, oh, wow, I never really thought about that before. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, because as runners, we do. We have to learn from whomever we can. A coach, you know, another person who's on a podcast, um, somebody you go out in a training run with, just something about them you connect with and you're like, wow, this... This person has it going on. They've got a good, they got a good system going. So good for you. Um, and I think it's, it serves you well, the competitiveness and, you know, you're wanting to, you're not going to quit. I know that. I mean, yeah. and I could see that. I'm not going to quit because I was telling you, I don't think that I reached my peak and I always wonder and they wonder it's what really gets me to the next, what's next, you know, 
And I love the triathlons. The triathlons are fun, even though I don't love biking as much, but I love the challenge, you know, and that's something that I enjoy. I have been doing open water swimming. I used to work in the Hamptons for a number of years. I worked in Marcos Vineyard for a few other years. And people love to go open water swimming with me because they felt safe. And I was thinking I'm half your size. <laughs> and I never liked to go swimming alone on the bay. But it was nice. It was something social. So now looking back, I realized that, you know what, it was so nice to have, you know, local people in Martha's Vineyard that I would go for a swim and I had something in common. And, you know, and it still kept me in shape. That's fantastic. So what do you think with running right now? So Boston, you accomplished that goal. That's there. Yes. And I you are qual you're qualified for April. So that's fantastic. Yes. So you're already, you're already going to come back. And now it's going to be a very different experience. I mean, now you know how much the crowds can lift you. Now you know the crowds on the left side of the road versus the right side of the road. Do I want to run on the left side? Do I want to run on the right side? Do I want to run in the middle? Like these are decisions you can make. Um, you know, and you know, tangents and all this. I don't get hung up on all that. I'm not saying I don't try to run somewhere near the blue line. If there is a blue line, I do, but I'm not worrying about if I'm going to, you know, and I, first off, people need to get a grip, man. GPS is not that accurate. Okay. Trust me. You could put a hundred different sports watches on and have people run the exact same route and you'll probably get 100 different dis distances measured, even if they ran the exact same spot. So it's, it's life, you know, a tree blocks the satellite signal, a building blocks it a little, you know, the clouds come over and the next thing you know, everybody has a little bit of a different number. And people will say, well, I ran 26.8 miles. I'm like, oh, no, you didn't really run 26.8 <laughs> miles. Okay. Yeah. Right, yes. Yeah. You really think you ran six tenths of a mile more than everyone else? No, no, you didn't run 26.8 miles. Not unless you were going backwards to go get your gels that fell out of your bag and then you ran backwards again like eight more times. Like, no, you didn't you didn't run that much. So very cool. So you have Boston in April. Um, what else do you think is on your like horizon for like a big goal, like for the future for running? Well, um, I postponed New York City Marathon this year because it was only three weeks and I am not as unbelievable as you that you bounce back a week later, you run a marathon and then the next week. But um, now that I finished Boston, I do regret not doing New York in two weeks. I, you know, thought that I wouldn't be ready. And it's a lot mental and physical too, a little. But um, after all the running I've been doing for the last few months, um, doing New York would have been really awesome. So unfortunately, I will have to do it next year in November. And my goals would be this coming year to do a couple of, or at least one half Ironman again because I only did one and I loved it and I could love a new challenge and see how it goes. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And I think you, you, it's important that you recognize that about your own running and believe me, you can do it. Um, I can just tell when I'm conversing with people like who could and who can't. Um, there's some people that are just, they're too nervous. They're too worried. They just don't believe in themselves. And I would never ever tell them to go and do that approach. Like I do where I run all the majors like for me, it's a party opportunity. It's a party opportunity to see my friends in Tokyo, in Berlin, in London. I love travel. It's literally in my blood to get on a plane and go see another country and to have different food served and have different wine and different languages being spoken. It just, 
It invigorates me. It brings out the best in me. Um, to me, like that's how we need to be. We need to get around and see and experience other cultures. And I, I feel sorry for friends of mine who just don't like to travel. They don't like to get on a plane. They're very much homebodies. And for me, that's not fair of me. It just, I couldn't, me, I just get like more, what's the word? Claustrophobic, um, you know, cabin fever is a word they use. Like I can't be like lockdown. So that's why lockdown was so hard for me because I love to get on a plane. I love to travel. I'll travel by myself. I don't need anybody to travel with me. Even if there isn't a race, I'll just go to another country and go like, I'm just go explore for a few days. So I think in your case, doing some more tries is great. I mean, look at your swimming, man. You're a stud in swimming and you're, you're killing it and running. You just have to be decent on the bike. You don't even have to be great on the bike and you could do really, really well. And I got my, I got my beautiful Trek Madone racing bike, oh, right, awesome. right over there. Look, it matches my outfit right here. See, yeah. there you go right yeah. there. So if you work with me on my open water swimming, I will do a 70.3 with you. So I, I just need to, it's not just open water swimming. I just stopped. Chelsea Piers is my gym and it's a great gym, but there's only so many lanes in the pool. And you understand that with that many members, you're not going to get a lane to yourself. And look, when you're not good at something and it doesn't matter what it is, you're going to be self-conscious. So the last thing you want to do is share a lane with two or three other people, even if they're beginner to intermediate swimmers too. You just want to kind of be in your own lane and just go back and forth as slowly as you want. Even if I swim 50 meters and stop because I need to breathe, I know how to breathe. I can breathe on both sides, left and right, but I just get, I get winded so much easier, which is amazing that I could go out and ride 50, 70, 100 miles on my bike up and down the hills. And I can do that even when I'm not riding for years, but in the pool, I'm like, I swim 50 meters and I'm like, what yeah. the hell's going on here? Um, in the compliment that you're an unbelievable runner, the problem with swimming is incompatible with running. So you have to build up the swim base. And unfortunately the most painful is the first month that you swim because you are short of breath. And even me, if I don't swim for months, when we started the quarantine, I didn't swim for four months or five months. So I was out of breath and I felt like I was putting so much effort and I felt like I was in a slow motion and my times were so off. So it's a pain that we go through. And then you, there is a point that you're going back to your old self or, you know, or improving the times. And that's when you reach, you know, the happy moments. But um, also some heart trainings really help you there. So I feel like the journey is really more meaningful than just the race day. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. Um, and I like that you have some other goals outside of running too, because I think it's great because you, when it, we become only obsessed with to BQ, which you've now done, and now you're going to get to run it for a second time, when we become only obsessed with that, or we have to break three hours in the marathon, or it's three hours and 20 minutes is better. I mean, 319 is better than 320. Like your life is going to be so different if you run a 319 versus 320. Let me give you all a little news flash. It isn't going to be any different, okay? You're going to feel better for like about five minutes after that race is over, and you're going to go, I did it. I broke 320. And then about 20 minutes after that, you're going to be going like, oh man, I got to break 315. And then it's going to be 310. And it's gonna, There's no number in running where you ever get to. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Shalane Flanagan. I don't care if you're you know, Kipchoge, there's no number. We're human. As soon as we do something, the immediate thing that comes into our head is, wow, I wonder if I could run a mile faster than that. I wonder if I could do more pull-ups. I wonder if I could swim longer than I swam today. Like that's just how we are. So live with 
what you have. I'm man, keep going for shit, man. Go all the way in, man. I don't do anything half-assed. I'm not saying don't try to get PRs and don't push and don't go for it big time, but just realize that you can get a lot of enjoyment out of running and be happy about your running. You know, if you miss some mythical time that you've made up, like you're going to get some gold badge from somewhere, you're not going to get any of those things. Okay. And if you don't come off that Boston course that day or the New York City course that day or wherever you're running, Chicago, Berlin, wherever, and you don't give yourself some grace and take a moment to say, damn it, man, I'm a badass. I just ran 26.2 miles, man. How many people are doing this right now? I'm a mom of three. I'm 60 years old. I'm I'm running all these marathons. You're doing all this stuff. Like you got to give yourself some credit, man, and some grace. If it doesn't go exactly the way you want it out there, you know, don't kill yourself, man. Just just learn from why it didn't go maybe exactly the way you wanted. Did you miss your gels? Did you not get enough fluids in? Were you having stomach problems that day? Maybe you had a meal that didn't agree with you the night before. You talked about, you know, cutting off carbs and then, you know, carb loading. There's a lot of ways to approach it, but whatever way you're going to approach it, you have to follow it through. And then if that works, then you have a blueprint for how you want to try to continue to do it going forward. If it doesn't work, then, you know, that's it. And I could be like, well, Julietta cooked me this meal and obviously it wasn't any good because I got sick <laughs> to my stomach and, you know, my race was, was totally screwed up. So it's totally her fault, um, which would never happen. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm just saying like, it's not the night to go to the Indian restaurant with the spiciest curry on planet earth when you haven't had any spicy food in like six months because of COVID. And then you're like wolfing down all this crazy stuff, which I happen to love spicy foods, by the way. So bring it all on the hotter, the better. And I love flavor. And I like that, you know, the balance and the mixture, the, the one end and the other end, but that's not the night before, you know, you're getting ready to roll unless that's the way you eat every day. If you eat that, if you eat that way every day, do yeah. you know, go Everybody's for it. Different. But for me, since, you know, I grew up eating carbs, for me it was breakfast, bagel, lunch, pizza, and dinner, pasta. <laughs> so for three days, that's what I ate. And, you know, a few of my friends, they don't eat any carbs. So sometimes when I talk all the things that actually I can eat, uh, they are horrified <laughs> because I'm not a big person, but everybody's different and whatever you can digest, it's what it is. But um, the formula works for me not to get the, um, you know, cramps and, and, you know, get to the finish line in one piece. Yes. Very sage advice. So we have to shift over. We've got to talk about your chopped food network appearance where you not only were on chop the show, you won. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like that's absolutely bonkers, man. Now, unfortunately, because I have been going crazy nonstop since, you know, the two races in eight days and traveling. And then I've, this is now my third pod that I recorded in like five days. So I wanted to go find your episode and watch it. I just did not, did not have the time. So I don't know anything about it. I don't know who you were competing against. I don't know what you cooked. I don't know any of that stuff, but Give us, you got to give us a little background on it because it had been unbelievably amazing experience for you. Yes. So when they called me to be on the show, I was uh, pregnant with my last child. I feel like through the pregnancies, I've been, you know, going everywhere for work. I, I was swimming until the very end. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't feel as well as I would hope. You know, I was, wasn't as energetic and I feel like I have a lot of energy. And, you know, I show up and the other chefs seem a lot more professional 
than me. I felt very humble. And they were all kind of showing off. You know, everybody working in a more well or renowned restaurant. And I was very humble cooking for myself in my own little catering for very wealthy people, but I still didn't have, you know, a storefront. And um, we make the first dish and I felt terrible. <laughs> it was not the presentation I was hoping for. And 20 minutes really fly. You have four cameramen following every single chef all over. So before I start cooking, I look at the cameras. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> and I was thinking, I don't want to embarrass myself. And then when the chefs try the other dishes first, they you know, made their comments and they tried mine. And I realized, that they love my first dish much more than the others. So that was the moment that I realized that I could win. So that really gave me the confidence for the second dish on the main course. And I thought, okay, if I can, you know, do okay in the main course, since I love baking, there is no way I can lose through baking. And that's how I went. And unfortunately, once I edit, you really don't see all the details that happen, you know, you know, behind camera or certain things they don't put on TV, but they they really love my work. And I truly love baking. I manage my time very well. Um, and then, you know, I finished my dish and I felt very proud, the opposite feeling than the first dish. And when they tried the other contestant dish, I realized that there was very little chance I could lose, but you never know. And at the end of the show, I won, and I I, I was so grateful because uh, it was really a, an unbelievable experience. And you know, 15 hours earlier when I show up for the work, um, I thought I was going to have a bad day. Even with the runs, sometimes you really cannot predict what will happen, but to have a positive mindset really helps. You know, and I had a really unbelievable experience. What a great, what a great outlook to have. And yes, I mean, they're all coming from, you know, higher end restaurants, more known established places. So yeah, there's that feeling of like, whatever the good old boys club or the connected club or the cliques very much that exist in the world with wealth and money. And in the very fancy she-she cities of the world, the bougie cities of the world where wealth and money are prominent, like to get a table, to eat at this chef's restaurant is the thing. It's the big deal. So you're feeling all of that because you know you don't have those credentials at that point. You might be able to cook just as good or even better, but that's a natural feeling. So to come in there with those feelings and you have the lights and the cameras and the crews rolling, that's amazing. But what, a, what an incredible experience for your own development to come through that in that circumstance, you didn't go in there thinking like, okay, I know what I'm going to cook and I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. Like, no, you had to go against all of that. And then against all odds, you won. So that, yes. that is and when amazing. You get the, basket, the only time that you have to think is when you open the basket and slowly take the ingredients out. So that's the only time that your brain is like going a thousand miles and then a second, you know, to figure what am I going to make? So every single time I opened was really a surprise. So you couldn't even fake it. And there is nothing you can plan because you don't know what the ingredient is. So it was really um, fascinating the experience. I really loved it. I felt very fulfilled through the whole experience. And the fact that I even won was really the sherry and the cake for me. So it was really awesome. And anyway, my husband was home. I had to give up my license and my phone. So I say to my husband, I Google, you know, what would be the time frame? Everything about, it's about the time. 
So I say, look, if you don't hear from me mid-morning, I lost. If I, you heard mid-morning, I lost in the first round. If you heard from me around noon, I lost in the second round. And if you don't hear later in the day, maybe I made it to the final. <laughs> so it was really exciting that uh, he didn't know anything, you know, through the whole day. And I had to sign confidentiality agreements. So I really couldn't say much, but um, he was so excited. It was really nice. Well, that's awesome because, you know, that's how you guys met. And, you know, he was all in from the very beginning. And it's great because, you know, look, that's what makes the world go around, right? You could marry someone who has no interest in food. You could marry someone who loves you and you love each other for completely different reasons. And you connect in a hundred other ways, but food would have nothing to do with it. But in this case, he was like all in and he loved that whole food experience, food and wine and was all the way into it, you know, before your even first date. So like for, for that is super cool to have a supportive husband who loves yeah. what you do yeah. and is amazed by what you do. And then you go on the show and he, he doesn't even know. I'd be like losing my mind. I'd be like, I need to know what's happening here. What do you mean? I don't know. And I guess it'd be great though. Like if you're not hearing and it's like, okay, she's still alive. She's still yeah. in this thing. <laughs> yeah. So good. But, Unbelievable. Super cool. And then you weren't you on another cooking show challenge thing as well that you did really well on too? Or yeah. was that or am I mixing that one up? Supermarkets take out. So it's a little bit more informal, but they, you know, they were filming through COVID. It was the only flight I took, you know, and I took with the mask on and you know, I was um putting sanitizer all over the place and I show up there in California. It was really a fun experience. It was a lot of fun and I made it all the way to the final. So it was fun. And I I love the fact that I gave the opportunity to myself to, you know, to see what happened. Amazing. Well, somehow, I don't know yet, but I'm going to figure out a way. Um, I'm going to have to host some seriously awesome runner's dinner for something. Well, my 60th birthday passed last year, so it can't be for that. Oh, well, yeah, well, that's okay. It's all good. There's always another birthday, right? Yes, but I'm going to have to think right. of some major event, some very special thing to bring a lot of my close friends and family together. The ones who love food and wine, not the ones who don't. That, and again, that's what people don't understand. That's not personal, okay? That is simply a choice of only people that can really appreciate and have this love for what a meal like that means. Because that to me is the essence of family. That to me is what it's all about. When I'm gonna open my favorite bottle of wine in the whole world or one of my favorite bottles, I'm not going to drink it with people who don't appreciate wine or love wine. It does. They don't have to be a good friend of mine. They just have to be someone I know is your good friend or your husband's good friend. But I know that you both love wine and I know that that's going to be my contribution, but I'm going to have to figure out some way and then have to get a really big private room somewhere where you can figure all that out. Cause that's, that's your connections. Yeah, I'm I sure that I won't have to worry about any of that. I'm going to give all that to you. I'm just going to figure out how many people I need. And then from there, I'm turning it all over to you and we're going to put something fun together. It's going to be, awesome. be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Love it. I hosted so many parties at home, even up to 37 guests in my son room. It really felt like a Manhattan restaurant. <laughs> I should have spread them through my kitchen and dining room, but it, it was really an incredible experience. We brought a, you know, a person who owns a vineyard in California. I don't know if you ever heard Metafora. So he came himself and he was putting and we did the wine tasting with a food pairing. It was really an incredible experience. So I love to meet, you know, one-to-one -one people who are involved in the wine business. 
And from the 25-day trip to Italy, the best experience we ever had, it was when we went to a tiny vineyard, the name is Quintarelli. So we met the grandma who her parents or grandparents started the vineyard. So she was holding my six-month-old Josie while we were doing a tasting. And, you know, as you know well, that in some places you can taste and you spit the wine, but they say this wine is so priceless and so delicate you don't spit the wine <laughs> you have a sip and you swallow it but I love that the way that they really love their wine so much that they didn't even was, wanted to waste a sip of their delicious wine so some of those moments through food and wine and, and the trips really are memorable for the rest of you know my life and I love the fact that my husband loves food just as much and the wines and we get to travel and share all these moments together too. It's wonderful um, because it is, they, it stays with you forever. Um, yes. We were in Chianti at a vineyard and um, this man who ended up buying the vineyard worked in the insurance business his whole life. And he just talked about how bored he was and how he just wasn't interested anymore. And you know how he didn't have anywhere near enough money to buy this vineyard, but somehow he figured out a way to do it. And you could just see the love and the joy that they have on their land. And it's when you go there for tastings, it's very small. It's very intimate. It's just basically like a little stone patio courtyard that just has the most absurd views where you're just like looking out all over Siena and you see the mountains and the trees and everything. And you're just like, I'm in heaven. This is where I am. And, you know, my son was, I think, 14 when I took him on that trip. And we're sitting there drinking wine and just hanging out with them, having bread and cheese and olives and and different things. And what a just what a memorable. Just as you said, you don't you you will remember it forever. Um, and that's what a great meal is, and that's what a great meal is with company. So that's why this whole conversation is so fun for me. So the running, of course, is super awesome and important, and you're doing amazing, amazing things. But I just love how running is a part of who you are as a chef and as a mom and in your family and that it all came from starting out in the kitchen together with your mom. Yeah. Okay. So that's where it all started when you were like seven years old. Um, and your sisters, you know, weren't involved the way I wasn't involved with the cars with my brothers. Like we all pick our paths in life to be with our mom or our dad or doing something with a family member. And that's where you started. And now it's such a big part of your life. So it'll be very cool to see if any of your children, aside from getting involved with your running, if they ever get involved with wanting to be, you know, cooking and, and entertaining and be a chef and, you know, have that. Because your your husband obviously is so 100% into it and immersed in it fully as well. Yes, that would be awesome if they get into cooking. And I have done through COVID a lot of Zoom classes. I did a bunch of Zoom classes for kids. I donated all the profits of the classes to different charities. So I let the clients pick, you know, the charities. So it was nice. We did Hackensack Hospital a couple of times, you know, for children. We did a dog shelter. So it was nice to pick different, you know, options. But the class was for kids. So usually I like to be professional and organized. And this was unprofessional and disorganized because I was allowing the kids to also enjoy the moment so the kids were putting things and even though it looked chaotic it was nice for parents to see that it was you know a mom you know and their kids doing some cooking and for them to feel special and to be involved in the kitchen and then by the time we got things out of the oven or even if we made strawberries covered in chocolate and a little decoration 
they felt so proud that they were, you know, the reason why that was done because they made it. So it's nice to have these moments that it, the same way that I remember my mom growing up, I'm always uh, hoping that they would remember these moments as they get older. They will. They will. They may not tell you about it for a long time, but they will. They will remember it and it becomes part of them just the same way it became part of you with your mom. And it's wonderful that we pass these traditions down. And like I said, hopefully, you know, you have your eight-year-old who's already running. So hopefully she's going to become your running partner soon. And you guys could start doing, doing some mileage together. So that's awesome. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your super inspirational story, moving from Argentina, coming to New York, you know, working for Baltazar, becoming a private chef, going on chop, running, starting off, you know, basically as a beginner, you know, to getting into the Boston Marathon and your best running years are far ahead of you. So you have big things to go there. You're nowhere near your peak, despite what your friend said. We're, we're going to take care of her. Um, <laughs> She's an unbelievable athlete, though. And she did a half Ironman this year. So but we were not training together. But um, I think I inspired her because she says she wants to qualify for Boston. I love and it. And she ran a marathon 20 years ago. So, you know, what we all, you know, plant the seed somewhere sometimes and, and hopefully we'll inspire others. That's it. That's what this show is for, sharing your story and all the other runners who come on. There's some component of that story, just like Courtney DeWalter's story when you listen to the Rich Roll show. There's some component that we can latch on to and make it a part of ourselves. Or we see how we're doing something ourselves versus them and we say, hmm, maybe, maybe I should be doing this a different way. I mean, I should at least think about doing it a different way. And that's how we learn and that's how we grow. So that's yeah. really what it's all about. So I appreciate you so much coming on and sharing all the fun stories of your journey with me and the Run Chats listeners. I know there's going to be a lot of people who are super inspired hearing it, and I can't wait for them to get a chance to listen. Thank you so much. So next time we should be at dinner together. <laughs> oh, well, we're going to work on that for sure. That's definitely That's definitely going to happen. So as we say at the end of every show, we tell the runners to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that one was so much fun for me. I am just a huge foodie and wine lover and getting the chance to learn all about Julietta's exposure to being in the kitchen in the garden with her mom and just watching her make so many things from scratch, uh, learning that homemade farm-to-table cooking uh, style which served her so well when she came to New York and kind of got her apprenticeship at Balthazar, which led her to private chef catering and cooking for A-list clients and celebrities. And of course, her big appearance on Chopped, where she was the champ. And I just loved hearing about her involvement with so many sports as a kid and how she understood the value of being part of a team and how that's kind of at the center of everything she does, whether that's cooking, a mom, preparing things for, you know, A-list people who are very demanding by nature. Um, it just, it's really running is at the center of everything. It grounds her, it keeps her connected, and it definitely sparks her creativity for ideas for new recipes and just how to handle um, things that are uh, a challenge to her. So I really enjoyed this convo. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. And as you often do, just keep writing those wonderful reviews on Apple Podcasts. They're helping us so much uh, gain new listeners to the show 
It helps me get great new guests like Julieta to come on and share their inspiring stories. So it all works together. It all helps us build this platform out further. And it means so much. So thank you all for continuing to do that and being part of the Run Chats fam over here. We appreciate you so much. And Julieta, thanks so much for sharing your inspo with us. It means so much. And as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. Talk soon.